I want to ask you a question. Can a true, genuine, I've heard people say born-again Christian, you know, that's the only kind there are. Can somebody that really knows the Lord engage in sin? What's the answer to that? Yes. yes. Grievous sin? You say there's no difference in sin. Well, I don't know about that. I'd whole lot rather you call me a bad name than to shoot me, all right? There are differences in consequences of sin, I'll tell you that. So can somebody murder somebody and still be genuinely saved? Can somebody commit sexual sins and still be genuinely saved? Can somebody tell a lie? Can somebody steal? Can somebody slander? Can somebody be divisive in the body of Christ? Can somebody be a drug addict? And genuinely be saved. Can somebody struggle with alcohol and genuinely be saved? Can somebody struggle with obesity and still be saved? Don and I were up in Vermont this last week. I got news for you. When you're from the South and you talk up there, they listen. <laughs> Not to your content, but just to your way of talking. And they want you to talk. They, they love it. And I speak Southern real plain. But while we were up there, we went to the grave of D.L. Moody, the greatest evangelist in America of the late 1800s. He was the Billy Graham of his day. And <clears throat> he knew Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached for him frequently over in England. Spurgeon had the largest church in all of England. Over 6,000 people came to hear him every weekend. Both of them were 5'9 and weighed over 300 pounds. Started thinking about that. They were about as wide as they were tall. <laughs> but they loved the Lord. So can you be obese and love the Lord? Can you be somebody that struggles with overeating? I'm not talking about that that's your lifestyle, that you never give any fruit of the Spirit, but can a Christian sin? Of course we can. Of course we can. Some say that if people commit those kind of sins, it's proof that they're not really Saved. Well, I don't believe that's true. I read the Bible like you read the Bible, and I see that every hero of the Bible, except Jesus, had sin in their life at some time. Noah, the most righteous man on the earth, the only one God could find on the earth that had faith, the minute he got off the boat, got drunk. I've heard people say, well, can you blame him? I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> now, if I want anybody to know I said that, I'll tell them, all right? That's just between you and me, all right? I had somebody say, I said, can you blame him? I said, well, you know, yeah, I can. 
He did it. Abraham, father of the faith, lied about his wife, said, that's not my wife, that's my sister. And two different kings took her into their harems. We don't know what happened. No, with one of them, she didn't have any contact. Doesn't say about the other one. I don't know. You don't know. You can't prove what happened. All I know is he lied. His wife got in trouble. Moses had a hot temper. He killed people. He beat the rock when God said, speak to the rock. And God kept him out of the promised land, not heaven, but kept him out of leading the people into the promised land. Let Joshua have that privilege. David, man after God's own heart. Every time you turn around, he's telling a lie. He lied all the time. I read this morning, my quiet time, David lied to a Philistine about where he'd been. He said, where you been? He said, oh, I've been over here killing your enemies when he had really been killing Philistines. David lied a lot. And you know what else David did? He committed adultery with the man's wife and then had that man killed. Elijah committed the sin of allowing fear of Jezebel to chase him into a cave. He was so discouraged and full of fear that he wouldn't come out. He even thought he was the last one God had. God said, nope, I got 7,000 just like you. Come out of the cave. You know, fear is sin when you let it debilitate you and not believe the promises of God. Fear is the lack of faith, and anything that is not of faith is not of God. Peter denied that he knew Jesus Christ, denied that he even knew him three times. That rooster, when it crowed, sent chills through his soul. Paul was too harsh toward John the Mark and wouldn't let him go on the mission trip as if Paul never sinned. I'm so grateful that Barnabas and Peter picked up John Mark or we wouldn't have the gospel of Mark. And it was the gospel of Mark that served as the basis of Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. Thank the Lord for people who pick up broken people. I've told you that both Spurgeon and Moody were obese. I went to a seminary that was founded by a man who was divorced, B.H. Carroll. People who are saved have problems after they get saved. Just because you're saved doesn't mean that you don't continue occasionally to sin. Now, if that's all you do, then, yes, we have the right to say, are you really saved? If you never obey the Lord, if you don't have a desire to obey the Lord, say, why are you talking about all this? Because of the text. The text talks about what do we as Christians do when we sin and when other Christians 
sin. So I know what we do. We post it on social media, especially if they're high up. We let them know that we don't like it. Well, that'll come back to haunt you. How are we supposed to treat Christians who sin? Are we supposed to treat them like rebels that need to be beaten? Or do we treat them like the one sheep that strayed from the 90 and 9 and the shepherd went out to find the sheep and bring it back to the fold? Do we just say, you know what? They weren't really part of us. Just get them out of here. We don't want them. I want to tell you something. The church that realizes that God's church is a hospital for sinners, that is the church that's going to explode in growth. The church that understands that we are to minister to hurting people, even if they're saved, will have no problems about people sitting in the pews and being part of what's going on. I believe that we need to treat people that sin. We don't love their sin, but we love the sinner. So I want to talk to you today about reclaiming a backslider. By backsliding, if you don't know what that means, it means the Christian life is not a steady going forward. Look, look at me, I, it, real, real simple. It's not a, it's not, this is not the Christian life. Here, here's the Christian life. You ready? All right. Can I get a witness out there? Anybody? Anybody real? And about the time you think you got it together, the Lord allows something to happen. You realize, I don't even know where it is, much less have it together. Amen? So today, let's just walk through the text See what God says about reclaiming a backslider. My brethren, if any among you strays, let's talk about Christians straying from the truth, and one turns them back. That's our goal. We want to turn them back. We don't want to turn them away. We want to turn them back. We don't want to throw people away because they're embarrassing to us. No, we're going to pull them in and love on them. Treat them the way we'd want to be treated. If it was us, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death. What's that talking about? Well, that's why I'm here. I'll tell you what it's talking about. And we'll cover a multitude of sins. Number one, the backslider's problem is rebellion. Let's just get that on the line. Let's just lay that out there. That's the problem of a Christian backslider. They're rebelling against God. Verse 19, my brethren, if any among you, it's obvious he's talking about Christians who are backsliders, strays from the truth, strays, planao, to be led astray, to wander away. Don and I were driving the other day and bless their hearts, there were three geese out in the road and they were clueless. 
Have you ever heard the phrase? I looked at Don and said, that's where they get lost as a goose. I mean, I could have killed all three of them and just gone right on. But they were just kind of just walking around like this. Not the brightest bird in the bunch, all right? There's a lot of Christians like that. They're not lost spiritually, but they're just out there doing things they shouldn't do, and they're just kind of out in the road, and they don't realize they could get run over and get hurt, but they're just out doing their thing. Well, that's the way my mom did it. That's the way my daddy did it. That's the way I'm going to do it. Lost as a goose, not in the sense of going to hell, but they've strayed. They're misled. They're deceiving themselves. They're mistaken. They're deluded. All those things. That planao, it is the word that Jesus used to describe that one sheep that wandered away, that went astray. It was planao. That's, that's it. That's the word that was used. It's also the same word that Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you, talking about the second coming. Don't let anybody make you wander away against the truth. It's also the word used in Revelation 2.20 to describe the church at Thyatira who was being led astray by a false teacher that John called Jezebel. She's leading you astray. Don't listen to that woman. She's telling you that you can be sexually immoral and live for the Lord simultaneously, and that is not true. She is wrong. <laughs> My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, now what does that mean? People that wander, who are Christians that wander away from the Lord, first of all, they rebel against the truth of the Son of God. It always starts there. They, they, they start to question, who is Jesus? First thing to go when we get in trouble with the Lord is we don't respect how wonderful Jesus is and who he is. Who is Jesus? Who, what does the Bible say about Jesus? The whole Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament pointed to him. The Gospels speak of him. Acts talks about what he did through his Holy Spirit that he sent after he went back to heaven. And all of the letters, the epistles, are crystallizing the doctrines of his teaching. And Revelation talks about his coming. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. So we question that when we start to backslide. Well, he's not really the son of God. Well, he's not really born of a virgin. Well, he's not... Let me tell you something. The Bible says, and that's where we ought to end the argument. The Bible says he is the eternal son of God. He has always existed. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. If you ever was God, you still is God. You always will be God. Amen. I know I used incorrect English to make you remember it, all right? Jesus was the, is the eternal, divine, virgin-born. Had to be that way to not receive a sinful nature like us. Then he was tempted in all ways like we're. The 
tempted, yet the sinless son of God, and that sinless son of God was the second Adam, and he did it right like the first Adam did not, and he went to the cross and became the sacrificial son of God who bore your sins in his body on the cross until he could cry out, to tell us, die, it is finished, that is paid in full. He died, he was buried to clean up the grave for us, and then he rose from the dead. Jesus is the resurrected Son of God. Nobody except Jesus, nobody but Jesus, has ever died and then been raised from the dead, never to die again except Jesus and then the people who have followed him. And then he is the ascended son of God. And guess what? He is on a throne right now. I'm telling you, Jesus is in charge right now. Nobody in Nashville is in charge. Nobody, we were just in Albany, New York, which is the capital of New York. I didn't even know that. Nobody in Albany is in charge. Nobody in Washington, D.C. is in charge. Nobody in China is in charge. Nobody in Russia is in charge. Nobody in India is in charge. Nobody in any other place is in charge. God Almighty and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost are in charge. Jesus is on the throne. And he is preparing heaven, and he is praying for us, and he is going to come back. And when he does, every eye will see him, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. Not to Muhammad. No, Muhammad's dead. Muhammad's going to confess to Jesus. Buddha's going to confess to Jesus. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, when you backslide, you rebel against all that. But Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So straying Christians rebel against all that. Then straying Christians also rebel against the truth of the Word of God. You don't like the Son of God. You, you pull away from history. And then, you know, you go to college, you hear one English professor or one history professor talk about the Bible, which he doesn't know anything about, but because he's got a PhD in something else, he makes you think he's an authority or she makes you think she's an authority when they don't know more. We've, we've got teenagers that know more about the Bible than some professors do that try to put the scripture down. Let me tell you something. It doesn't take a genius to try to cut things down. The Bible is the word of God the word of God. And when you start straying from the Lord, you stray not only from his son, but also from his word. You start thinking you're smarter than the Bible and you're not. You're not and neither am I. And then the Bible, Jesus said this about the scripture, John 14, 17, 17. He said, Father, sanctify them, set them apart, make them holy in the truth. And then he defined what the truth is. Your word is truth. A straying Christian, though, rebels against the truth of the Word of God. And then finally, a straying Christian rebels against the truth of the gospel of God. What is the gospel? Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. And you have to repent. You have to turn from your sin. And you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross and for you and that he rose from the dead to give you eternal life. And then you have to receive him into your life. You have to believe those things to be saved. And that's what we share with people when we share the gospel. 
I hear people talking all the time, I'm gonna have a gospel conversation, and they mention the word God, and they think they had a gospel conversation. You have not had a gospel conversation unless you talk in depth about Jesus, unless you talk about the fact that he was born of a virgin, free from a sinful nature, all those kind of things. You've got to have a gospel presentation and a gospel invitation inviting them to be saved if you're gonna have a genuine gospel conversation. Talking about God's not enough. You got to get to Jesus and you got to get to, you need to repent and receive him as your Lord and Savior. That's the truth of the gospel. I love Ephesians 1.13. It says, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Leave that on the screen. That's how you get saved. God doesn't zap, put it back on the screen just for a minute. That God doesn't zap you and then you get saved. No, it says there, after listening to the message of truth, after you hear the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you listen to the gospel, then you believe in the gospel. You don't get saved and then you believe. That's what some people say. They, they are so into the sovereignty of God, they take it too far and they say that God zaps you with salvation. You say, well, that's what he did to Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul didn't get saved on the road to Damascus. He said himself in Acts 16 that he got saved when Ananias came and shared the gospel with him. He repented of his sins and got baptized after that. Amen. It's in the Bible. Amen. People have said that other for a long time, but it's not true. God doesn't zap you with a lightning bolt of grace and you get saved. God offers you this salvation and then you repent and believe and then he gives it to you. That's what the verse says. Having also believed, you were sealed in him. The sealing is the salvation. That doesn't come until you repent and believe. That's how you get saved. And it's the gospel of truth. The gospel of truth. You know what the Bible says about rebellion? We rebel against that. When you rebel, backsliders, they're rebelling. They rebel against God's truth. 1 Samuel 15, 23, rebellion is as the sin of divination. You know what divination is? Oh, that's not a bad thing. It's witchcraft. It's witchcraft. It is Satanism. It's not something you play with. It's not something you kid around with. It can destroy you. It can literally introduce demons into you and your family. You don't mess with witchcraft. You don't mess with divination. It's like saying, well, I've got a pet rattlesnake. Well, good for you. You can pet it yourself. I'm not going to pet it. And I'm sure not going to let divination into my house. That's what backsliding is like. That's what rebellion is like. My brethren, if any of among you strays from the truth, you want to reclaim a backslider? Understand that the backslider's problem is rebellion. Understand also, secondly, the backslider's the church's responsibility to the backslider is rescue. That's what we need to do. Not to beat them up, not to talk about them, not to post about them on social media, or not to, did you know that there's another way to be a gossip? You can couch it in, Prayer request. You ever heard that? 
We need to pray for so-and-so and just leave it there. No, you got to describe all their sin in detail. Just say, let's pray for John. He's having a hard time in his marriage. That's all you need to say. You don't need to go into details because what happens is you start gossiping and that's slander and that's wrong. They don't need you talking negative about them. They need you praying for them that God will help them. Amen? Amen. amen. Had to drag it out of you, but amen. Look at verse 19. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back. That's what we're going to do. We're going to turn him back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death, will cover a multitude of sins. You got to turn him back. Turn them from their error. Responsibility to that lies primarily with Christian brethren. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, another Christian, another part of the brethren. And by the way, this is going to be bad English, but good theology. Brethren includes sistren. <laughs> Not a word, but ladies, you're included in brethren. You're not to malign them. You're not to dismiss them. You're not to throw them to the curb. You're not to castigate them. You're to rescue them. I'm going to show you a picture of where I learned to swim. That's Okina Pool. That doesn't mean anything to you. Man, when I see that, I can remember the day when I went in there with my goggles and my little uh, tube thing that you breathe through. And my, they're not flip-flops. What do you call them? Yeah, whatever you call them. That's what you get them on their feet, you know, and you go out there and you conquer the world. I took swimming lessons here, and they've changed it now. You know, nowadays everybody's worried about getting sued, you know, and so they don't have the high dives anymore. But back in the day, before all that other, we had three different diving boards. And on this end, on the one that they've got over there, there was nothing. On the, this end, there was the high dive where that guy is, that lifeguard up there on that seat, that was the, the small dive right over here that's on the left now. And on the far end was the medium. We had small, medium, and big. And so I'd learned to swim. I forgot what they called it, but I had the little bitty introduction course. And my brother dared me to go off the high dive. And you might as well just got me off because if he dared me, I was going to do it. I didn't have a lot of sense. And so I went up there, and they were just saying, go, go, jump, 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 jump. I barely knew how to swim. So I went off, landed, and that's all I knew to do. <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. I took the dare. I did it. Came up. Now what? <laughs> went back down. Uh-oh. Came back up gasping. Now what? Went back down, stayed down until I felt the arms of the lifeguard grab me and take me in. I didn't even know the word hallelujah at that time. <laughs> but I was thinking hallelujah and not even knowing it. I didn't need a lecture. I didn't need somebody to come under the water 
and try to tell me, you should have never gone off the diving board. I didn't need a lecture. I needed a lifeguard. I'd gotten myself in a mess. I didn't need to be reprimanded. I needed somebody to rescue me. And if you look at lost people as somebody to beat up, you will never reconcile them to God, ever. But if you look at somebody who is living in sin as somebody to be rescued, now we're talking. If you see them as a lamb that has strayed into the wilderness and you go after them, not to chastise them, not to belittle them, not to put them down, but to pick them up and to bring them home. How many of you, how many of you have ever strayed from God? Anybody out there? Okay, the rest of you just did, so now raise your hand. <laughs> Every one of us has strayed from God. Aren't you glad when somebody that loves us enough to come to us and say, can I talk to you in love? Now, what do you do? How do we rescue them? First of all, we must pray for backsliders. You need to pray for them. There's power in prayer. Pray that God will convict them, John 16, 8, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then lovingly, big time underword that, underline that word, confront backsliders. Don't just confront them, lovingly confront them. And by the way, go to them privately. Don't confront people on the internet. Hello! Don't do it. I'm just calling them out. Well, get ready to be called out yourself because what goes around comes around. Do it privately like Jesus said in Matthew 18. We must treat backsliders with gentleness. Approach them with humility. Whatever they have done, you are potentially capable of doing. Okay? Get off your high horse and come down with the rest of us and get real. And let's help people. Now, we must not condone the sins of backsliders. I'm not talking about that. Put that up there, yeah. Oh, I, I went too far. No wonder you didn't put it up there. I, I missed the next thing. We must lovingly speak the truth to backsliders. I'm sorry, excuse me. Those guys up there saying, yeah, we were right and he was wrong. <laughs> I defer to you. Amen. Show them in Scripture where they've strayed and what the Bible says about what they've done wrong. But do it in love. Speak the truth in love to backsliders. Now, don't condone the sins of backsliders. If you have a loved one that lives in the LGBTQ plus movement, any one of those letters stand for something that's sinful. Just like it's wrong for 
anyone to be an adulterer. Just like it's wrong for anybody who's married to be with somebody else's spouse, that's adultery. Just like it's wrong for anybody that's not married to be cohabitating. Some of you might be doing that right now. Did you know that that's sin? Did you know that living together and not being married and being intimate is sin? Did you know that's called fornication? And the Bible says if you do that, that's, if that is your life, it's indicative of the fact that you're not saved. If you do that all the time, it shows that you're not saved. It says neither fornicators nor adulterers will be blessed by God. Can't do that and live for the Lord. And so we've got to go to those people and lovingly confront them and not condone their sin. If your children are doing that, I know it hurts, but it's sin. If your relatives are doing that, if they're being immoral, it's sin. If they're looking at pornography, it's sin. Pornography is so available nowadays on the internet, it's worse than it's ever been. Look at me. It is sin to look at pornography. You say, I, I can't believe you're talking about this. Who else is going to tell you that? Where else are you going to get that except out of the Word of God? And if more pastors would preach about it, we'd have less of it. We just want to hear God loves you, we love you, everything's okay. God does love you, we do love you, but everything's not okay. You need to repent. And we must not give up on backsliders. Oh, man, don't give up. No one is too hard-hearted for God. We're going to reach out from the uttermost to the guttermost. We need to reclaim backsliders. Our responsibility as a church is to rescue them, not to ridicule them, but to rescue them. So the backslider's problem is rebellion. The church's responsibility is rescue. The ultimate goal is restoration. Now let me tell you what restoration is. Look at me. Restoration needs to happen when two people or two parties, let's say it's either God and us or us and somebody else, if we want to be reconciled to another person, if we want to be reconciled to God, you've got to remove what is causing the division. You've got to remove it. It's got to be moved so that you come together, all right, or so you come together. In our case with God, it's sin. In our case with our fellow man, guess what? It's sin. That's what it is. And so we, it has to be removed. But when it's removed, as people repent, aren't you glad that if we genuinely turn from our sin, then we're ready to go with God again, amen? I'm talking about after you get saved, you need to repent. I have to repent all the time. You say, you're a preacher. I know. <laughs> let, me tell you, let me tell you, what is, I mean, can, you, can you handle real just a minute? A lot of times, a day or two before I'm about to preach, Don and I just get into it a little bit. Now, you know us. It's not her. It's me. <laughs> can I get a witness out there? Don't look at me that holy. I've counseled people, all right? Don't talk to me about that. Now, what is that? Yeah, that's my flesh, but it's also the devil trying to get me 
messed up. I can't get up here and preach and do it with the power of God and be wrong with that woman on the front row. I got to be reconciled this way before God can use me. Now look at me. So do you. <laughs> There's not, this book is not just for pe preachers. It's for you. Some of y'all won't get home before you're fussing. It could be over something just like a meal. I've had that happen many times. Where would you like to eat? She's thinking salads. I'm thinking steak or hamburgers or French fries. Well, what about this? Well, I don't like that. Well, where would you like to go? I, I don't care. Well, you really do. So where would you like to go? I don't, wherever. I can get it. I can I can get in trouble quicker than anybody you know. Can I get a witness out there? Anybody out there? All right. All right. That's all I'm going to confess. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death. Now, what's that all about? He's not saying that these Christians who sin are on their way to hell. I want to say something to you that's going to be hard for some of you to accept. Because we believe that God is only love. He is loving. Praise God. But the Bible talks about in 1 John a sin of Christians unto death. And the Bible is full of examples of God killing his own children who refuse to repent of their sins. David sinned greatly, but David repented greatly, or God would have taken out David. Do you remember Aaron's two sons? Remember them? Nadab and Abihu. It's in Leviticus 10. God said, offer to me these kind of sacrifices. They came up with their own idea and offered God strange sacrifices. And God was so offended, he took their lives. Do you remember a little couple named Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias and Sapphira sold some land, gave part of the proceeds to the church and told them they were giving all of it, but they kept some of it for themselves. They told a lie. And they died. God killed them. That's what James is talking about here. He's saying, listen, if you're not careful, there are some backsliders that God, God takes their lives. Now, I know that we don't like that. We like to just think about God as loving, but God is also holy and will cover a multitude of sins. That means you won't give the lost people something to put the church down for. 
When God restores, what does he do? I love these verses. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Aren't you glad for that? Read off of the screen, if you will, Psalm 103, verse 12. Read it with me, please, now. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If it's as far as the east is from the west, that's forever. It's gone, amen? He also cast our sin behind his back. I love that. Isaiah 38, verse 17. Lo, it means behold, for my own welfare I had great bitterness. It is you, Isaiah says, who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. God doesn't look at your sins anymore once he forgives them. He forgets them. That's what the next verse says. He no longer remembers our sin. Isaiah 43, verse 25, God says, I, even I, read it with me. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That'll just make, about make a Baptist shout, amen? amen? He wipes it out. And then I love this. He cast our sin into the depths of the sea. Oh, I love that. Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, Micah prays? You pardon iniquity. You pass over the rebellious act of the remnant of your possession. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. I heard a guy say years ago, God throws our sin. When we confess and repent, God throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness and puts up a sign, no fishing. Don't remember those sins. They're gone. If you've sinned and you're a backslider, come home to Jesus today. Come home to the Lord. Repent of your sin. He'll forgive you. He'll reclaim you. He'll restore you. You'll avoid his wrath. He will cover your sin. I'm telling you, having your sin forgiven is the most glorious thing I know of. If I didn't believe for, for, that lost people could be saved and forgiven, if I didn't believe that repentant Christians can be forgiven, then there's no good news. But there is good news. Christ doesn't just forgive repentant lost people. Christ forgives repentant saved people.